With growing inequality in our world today, many school administrators are already talking about how we can catch up students this summer. So how do we ensure that even our most vulnerable children can thrive in a world of AI? Well, that's exactly why we're so excited to bring in educational coach and Rev Up Robotics author, George Valenzuela. Congratulations for investing in your family today by joining the AI Parenting Podcast. We are a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time. And our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today we're diving deep into relation by looking at children who thrive. So George is going to cover three different topics today. He'll give us the key questions that we need to ask in order to relate in even the most difficult situations. He'll give us how the social emotional foundation can support equity in learning. And finally, he'll help us move beyond awareness and feel it to heal it. Without further ado, let's dive into it. So we want to relate, obviously, with our own kids, but we got to do that by asking relevant questions. Like we got to ask them something that they care about. And I often struggle with this myself to go, well, how do I show? How do I show in the questions that I ask them that this is important to me. This is important to them. And so maybe you can um, you can describe like what are the, the questions that help us relate by asking? Yeah. So for me, first, you know, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about pedagogy right now. Right. Like I'm talking about who I am as a person. I have to be relatable. Um, Dr. Rita Pearson said, rest in peace, a long time ago that young people learn don't learn from people that they don't like and so i think it's important that we appear in a way that we are you know relatable and that we show that we actually care and that we love our students and so i know that you know love um is a feeling well it's it's a feeling and and it fluctuates but dr stephen r covey said in the seven habits of highly effective people that love is also a verb. It's an action that you do, even when you're not feeling it at the moment. It's unconditional, no matter what. And so if students see us as a person that cares about them, even if we are from a different background or we have a different um, um, culture or we're from a different race, that love and care, I believe, appeals to the humanity in each and every person. Now, yeah. as far as um, pedagogy goes, I think that it's important to involve our children in thinking routines and in intellect. See, if your if your work in the classroom is not intellectually challenging, right? Then how else are young people going to learn? how to think and how to solve problems, you know? Yeah. We do all the thinking for them. Why, why right. do we need to do any thinking? Right. Right. <laughs> right. According to Mander, thinking is skilled work. It's not something that you're born, you know, that you can logically learn how to think on your own. It has to be taught. And so I'm um, typically in schools. What we hear about is blooms. And so I do agree that, most of the thinking routines or the, or or the frameworks for you know teaching kids how to think are are derived from from um, blooms 
there's also other ones. So I think that a teacher needs to really think about what what would be a great problem solving strategy or or thinking framework for what they teach. So I'm a computer science teacher, so I use、um, computational thinking first as a framework, which after repetition it becomes a mindset, and that's how problems are solved in computer programming and in network design. So if I'm a social studies teacher, I would probably consider you know design thinking. If I'm a science teacher, I would think of inquiry-based、um, on protocols for、um, experiments, observations, you know, things like that. So I think it's important to have routines. Now, when I'm in a workshop, I focus on three main verbs: analysis, synthesis, evaluation. And so, what I do is this: I have all my participants either look at a picture,、um, a video. Or some informational text, and I want them to analyze and、I、let them know. Right now, we are doing analysis, and then I ask them, "What do you see? What do you think? What do you wonder? Where are you stuck?" So after they've analyzed and they have an idea, then they can design or they can synthesize or or they can、um, synthesize and make an artifact. And then evaluation, I use reflection for metacognition, because you you know like John Dewey said, we do not learn from experience, we learn from reflecting on experience. And so for for me, it's not just about being, you know, relatable, which is the first part I think, but it's also about engaging them in learning. So you make them a learning partner first. And then you teach them the algorithms that they need in order to solve problems, because that's really teaching someone how to fish.、Hmm. And then they can do it on their own, you know, after they leave your class. So okay, I love this because what you're saying is like we're not learning by experience; we're learning by reflecting on the experience. And to me,、yeah. this is、uh, a key point: is that we. Often experience life, and we just run through it, and we do no reflection whatsoever. And to me, this is the key to relating. And I'm also curious, like, okay, this is the hardest part. It's just getting that conversation started. Is asking that first question. So to me,、um, I like going back to that that theme that we had earlier. Like, what is that one question that we would ask? You know, potentially the. The one that that says, yeah, like I care about you, and I care about like reflection and those kind of things. Like, how do I even get that if I'm if I'm hesitant as a parent? How do I get that conversation started?、Um, and I guess it, it was like maybe it's just like one sentence. Like it's those one single questions that you ask that it makes it like、yeah. oh, it's super clear. This is exactly why. Well, I like to ask my kids,、um, even my wife. And even like my、um, participants, I always ask them, "What are three takeaways, and what are three things that you would do differently?" And that's like my, you know, sentence starter. And so, what I'm looking to do as a teacher is to activate HOTS, higher order thinking skills. Right? They、mm-hmm. don't know that, <laughs> but that, you know, I want them to think about their own thinking and 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 to think about what their experience is. Now for For adults, what I have found is that you talk about things that 
we've all seen. Some of us have experience, but we've all seen. So I'll say something like, well, has anyone ever been into a bar or into a nightclub? And a lot of people say, yeah, I've been in there. I've been there. So I say, okay. Now you'll see a lot of people having fun. But by the end of the night, you'll always see one person who's either like this, right, at the bar, at the end of the bar, or on the pavement. And if you eavesdrop, that person is always saying, I'm never going to do that again. But they end up the next Friday night doing it again. And so what psychologists say is that in that moment, they mean it. But because they didn't reflect appropriately on the natural consequence of the behavior to self and to others, they're doomed to repeat this over and over again. And so what I do with my child, um, who's 15 now, um, is, you know, I don't tell him that story, but I bring up, you know, situations he's been involved in, like where he went somewhere where he shouldn't be going or he did something. And I just say, hey, what is your um, um, takeaway? And and also what we have to understand is that um, that the um, cortex, you know, in the brain, um, it needs to to um, connect with another part of the brain that that enables reasoning and critical thinking. And so that doesn't really fully develop until 25 years old. So that's why I'm saying we have to provide our our children thinking frameworks that can eventually turn into mindsets. Because you can't do it on your own. You know, that's what science says. Now, I'm not saying everyone can't do it on their own, but, you know, I know I, I couldn't. You know, once I had a system for solving problems, then I think I was unstoppable, like as far as learning goes. You know, it's like being in the kitchen and I have to make lasagna for the very first time. <laughs> if I don't have a recipe, then what can I do? And so when I learned about um, project-based learning, I learned it through through evidence-based instructional strategies and vetted educational protocols. And so I was doing workshops like that for five years, you know, using strategy after strategy. It was like a recipe. So eventually I became an expert. You know, that's how learning happens. You know, Tony Robbins says repetition is the mother of skill. Um, Aristotle said, you are what you do repeatedly. And so once I got into the PhD program, then it was a little different because then I learned how, you know, how learning actually happens, meaning I learned the theoretical frameworks and the learning theories that informed those practices. But prior to, I couldn't tell you why they worked. I could just tell you that they, I can show you that, that they do work. And so I think it's really a tandem of both. And if educators are fortunate enough to work in a school where they operate as PLCs and they're doing book studies and they're learning the research behind the practices that their school is asking them to do, then I think we have a win-win. If not, then I think it's very difficult to achieve something that we don't fully understand. So what I what I heard from you there was that, and I think this is like so important, and I, I, I just want to emphasize it, is like we are what we do repeatedly and we often don't repeat enough of the the things that we do and i think it's that building that habit and so what's happening is people are saying things but they're not following up with action so who is the person who is the person that follows up with that action right like if if it's the parent or if it's the teacher like who's going to hold them accountable and that's the thing is like we live in a world without 
accountability these days. You know, like everybody is just, I want to say, um, they, they do stuff. If you do it, you don't do it. This is one of the big challenges I had with my son and his, uh, his class. Yo, you had a question. Yeah. Well, so I don't have an answer for that. You know, that's the <laughs> only thing that I don't have an answer for that. The only thing I can do is be accountable for myself. I heard Tupac say this in an interview. I can't answer for anyone else, but I can answer for for me. And so I have a neighbor, and my neighbor, um, he's always giving me books to read. And one day, um, a few years ago, he was like, man, you have to read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. And he said, if you don't want to read the whole thing, just read one chapter on a very important concept. It's called the 10,000 hour rule. And so just in a nutshell, in the book, he talks about people that are at the top of their field. People like Steve Jobs, um, Bill Gates, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, you know, Justin Bieber, you know, not that all these folks are, are in the book, but folks that, you know, that are at the top of their fields. The thing they have in common is the 10,000 hour rule, meaning that for 10 years, they dove into their topic for three hours a day, 20 hours a week, and maybe even more. And so when I found that out, you know, I basically, I treated my work like an NBA game. Like if I know that I'm doing a workshop and that workshop is for 90 minutes, I rehearsed that 90 minutes 14, 15 times before I even got there. And I got that from, from Michael Jordan. There's a book called Relentless is by Tim Grover, and that's what he talks about. You know, sorry, the landless. It's called Relentless. Yeah, Relentless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so think about the analogy of of the you know of the workshop being ninety minutes. Well, if an NBA game is forty three minutes, Michael would practice forty five minutes or ninety minutes three times a day. So by the time he got to the game, he already played the game fifteen times. And so for him, everything is slowed down in slow motion. And for everyone else, it's going fast and anxiety is building in. And so it's very important to, you know, get control of your emotions, right? Because we all have them. And that only happens through practice and repetition. Oh, I love that. I love that. So we have a, a few people who are on the call uh, right now. And, uh, you know, Roger asked a question. Maybe I'll see if I can bring it up here. Uh, can you speak to the rituals and routines children zero to five balancing, mastering skills and creativity? Any any suggestions there for Roger? Well, I haven't um, taught um, children that, that young except my own children. And so the thing that I've done with them is, you know, I focus a lot on being very mindful of what I'm saying to them. Um, there's a book called The Four Agreements. It's by Don Miguel Ruiz. And he said that when people hear things, they either agree or they um, disagree. But when you're young, you tend to agree with everything, you know, unfortunately. And so it's important to tell your child, you know, positive things. Right. You know, you are doing a good job. You can do anything that you do if you put your mind to it. You are smart. Right. Things like that. 
But I think focus on like like I know like me like with like my young children I made sure that they can cut on a straight line that they can use a ruler that they um, knew where to find things that you know in order um, um to learn but I would really focus on having them think through things and I can't remember that 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 far but I think that um What we do in computer science is we have maker spaces and we allow them to um um tinker at a young age. And tinkering allows young people to, you know, play with things and and explore them in such a way that they start to see patterns. For example, if they're playing with um electronics and they are um um clicking on a switch, they start to see, you know, input output. Now they don't make all these um um connections, but that eventually happens. Also video games. Now, um I know that for small kids um I forgot what we had um you know things on the iPad and things like that but I think it's important that it's a tandem of telling them things that we should be saying to them you know positive things right helping them through their um um difficult emotions but also in having them explore and play and um um tinkering I don't think is what we need to do as they get older as much but i think it's a great intro into learning um concrete skills and i, I hope that that so was much, helpful george <laughs> yeah, I, i i hope that that's helpful um you know i never yeah. taught from 0 through 5 so uh let us know if it was helpful and in the meantime i'm maybe i can add that you know to me i love this especially for the 0 to 5 years old i found that they're constantly looking for approval right and so if you can tell them like wow you did this thing and it was so good like i am so proud of you for doing this they need constant encouragement and constant positive direction and they often do they get it from home do they get it like as as you know do they get it from school maybe the teachers in, in their class are too busy to give praise to every single individual you need to be there to give some of that praise on a regular basis so building a habit of going certain things that i love to see from you are going to receive praise is such a powerful powerful way of getting them towards uh, like the kinds of behaviors kind of habits the kinds of the the, the practice that you said that is 10,000 hours uh the Malcolm Gladwell hours you know that those are really really key um i was going to also um think that that relates so well to uh the second point that you had and i wanted to see if we can transition to that one Um no and that's this one. It's like we talk about the the foundation. Right? There's this foundation of this emotional foundation. And I think that like when we're talking about academics, we often say, "Oh, they need to catch up, maybe they're behind in this subject." But unless we deal with the emotional foundation, it feels like there's just no way that these kids are even going to start to catch up. Like we're talking summer school and stuff. How are we <laughs> going to even um build that foundation for them so that we know that they're going to be able to succeed in this type of scenario right so well, what what kind of basic uh foundation do they need yeah well i think it's learning how how to think and problem solve so there's two types of knowledge that people need in order to think um um critically there is procedural knowledge right systematic steps like you know, think mathematics Mathematics is uh you know it's a sequence of algorithmic steps or algorithmic steps that you take in a sequence in order to um solve a problem. 
if you don't know what that procedure is, then you're going to get stuck and you might quit, right? So that's one thing. So it, it's some procedural knowledge, but there's declarative knowledge, known facts, okay? And so I think that we have to meet people where they are. Um, wait, 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 so help me understand that. Like, what's the difference between procedural knowledge and, and like facts? Like, what, what, what is the, the distinction here and what does that do? <laughs> okay, so, all right, so um, on declarative knowledge are facts. Okay, and procedural knowledge are the steps for problem solving. Are the steps that you would take, like you know, um, on procedures, you know, procedural knowledge. Oh. Does that make sense? Okay, so like one is just like the facts, the the solution, and then the other one is how do you get to the solution? Right. So that's why I said earlier, you know, engage them in frameworks for thinking. When you teach someone how to think then there is no learning loss. Then there is no, uh, you know, they know what to do or, or they know how to find the answer. Right. So I think that that is what we need to do. And so, and and the same thing goes for our emotions. Um, I wrote an article before the pandemic, um, I believe. And, you know, it's the algorithm for being able to work through your emotions. Number one is you need to know what emotions are. Two, you need to know how to um, identify them, right? Recognize them. And third, you have to find um, strategies for, you know, regulating. So if I'm a teacher, one thing I can do is I can do an emotions um, check-in. And the check-in can be a formative assessment that I can do it in regards to whatever my learning goal is that day in the classroom, whatever our final product is. Or maybe something is happening in our children's lives. If we give them an algorithm, here's a check-in. Then you label. I like to use um, Plutchik's Wheel of Emotions because it helps learners see that there's um, eight basic emotions and that other emotions are an amalgamation of those in tandem with with other ones. And then once they start to recognize and label what's what what they're experiencing, then finding a strategy for self regulation it's a lot easier right and so i just think that focusing on routines on systematic approaches frameworks is very important and i think that as a teacher well as a coach that has helped me tremendously because my learners always know where where we are in the steps and sometimes you can't solve a problem right away but like as we know in STEM, it's not always about the final product. It's about the knowledge that's learned or is constructed or built upon along the way. And I think that's equally important. So if we are incorporating or embedding reflection for metacognition throughout each activity, then there's never a learning loss. You know, I, I love this. I'm going to add up a, like something I just wrote down. Name it to tame it, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. That's the name of the game, right? Like, being able to speak to those emotions, man. Like, being able yeah. to have an emotional type of literacy. This is the thing, is we are so literate on writing, reading, you know, arithmetic. But how literate are we with respect to our own emotions? Like, we think, like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I just feel stuff. I'm just angry, sad. I'm like, no, 
Do you know the the eight emotions? Oh, just and by the way, I'm going to ask you. Like, maybe you can just quickly go through some examples of like the the examples of the names and and yeah. some examples of how you get that started because this is the hard part for a lot of parents is they don't know like how do I even get started with this? And you know how there's um some people talk about like an anger ladder, right? Like mm -hmm. the, you know, there's different stages and and people use like characters or something. Like I would love to know like what do what do people use to develop this emotional literacy and so one thing i have to say is this is that when it comes to helping young people their emotions whether you're a teacher or a parent you can't take a lead learner approach on this one mm -hmm. so in computer science we have this thing or this mindset um, even in stem that that the teacher is the lead learner and I think code.org may have coined that or they've lifted it up in, you know, on their website or some article. And so that makes sense because, you know, I want to say most, I could be wrong, but most of the computer science and STEM teachers don't have a background in engineering or in CS. And so they're teaching something that's out of their wheelhouse. And so, yeah, they go, they are going to have to learn alongside with their children. However, I think that that's true, but when it comes to coding and things like that, these are earned skills. Thinking is skilled work. It's not something that you inherit. You're not naturally endowed with this. And the same thing goes with mastering emotions. Like if you look at young people, um, I think little kids are more in tune with, with their emotions because they're present with their emotions. And I you know, learned this through um, Eckhart Tolle's work. In his book, A New Earth, he says that if you observe a child or even a duck, all right, let's start with the duck. If two ducks are having an argument and you see them in the pond, right? They have their thing and then very quickly it ends and they fly into or, or they swim into different directions and they shake it off and they move on. And so he says that if you look at a young child, they're very present with their emotions and they cry, scream, kick, whatever they have to do. But then after 15, 20 minutes, they're back playing again. What happens Ooh, is so you're saying like we, we eventually learn to suppress our own emotions and that's why we're so disconnected. That's why we've got all these like problems today. If Well, OK, so I can't go that far, but, <laughs> I could, you know, I can just go on my personal experiences. If young people don't have a conscious adult that knows what emotions are, knows how to label and recognize and manage, then for their own defense or for their own um, protection, because everyone gets hurt emotionally, you know, some worse than others, but they block it out as a defense mechanism. Unfortunately, if we don't learn how to feel it to heal it, if we don't learn that, then it doesn't really go away and then it's stored trauma. You know, there's emotional trauma, there is psychological trauma, which sometimes we need some help with, but regardless, it doesn't really go away. And so the thing is this, the adult can't be the lead learner. The adult has to do that inward, outward work, that inward work, that self work on themselves to then be able to engage and coach. You can't help someone understand themselves, their environment and other people 
if you yourself don't understand yourself. And so that's why we have SEL and, and we have these things in schools. But I think it's important that parents and educators also do that work first on themselves. And so when we have a, a tool like Plutchik's Wheel of Emotions or even emojis, and we're helping young people see, hey, there's anger, there is pain, there's anticipation, there is joy. You know, I know that for me, one of the biggest aha moments, um, well, as a younger person, I always felt that I had to respond to every situation. You know, I'm from Queens, mm. far Rockaway, Queens in New York. And if someone said something or looked at me in a certain way, part of the um, culture there was that we meet that head on and we addressed mm. it immediately. And so and so the thing is, as I got older and I started to move into, into different spaces, that didn't really happen in part of the culture, like, you know, university work. It was frowned upon. No, that was no longer a strength because it wasn't always done in the right way. And so, you know, I didn't know any better. That well, level of control is so important. I remember like right. even our own school, like we had a uh, an incident where like one student could email like the entire school. And we've got a lot of students in our school. Like ours is a 10x school. So we've got 5,600 students just in, in our one online school alone. And so you could send like a, uh, an email to every student in the school. And people were so angry. They're like, stop sending these messages. And they're like, it's a K to nine school. So they're really young. And my message to them was, you know what, if anyone on the Internet and this is the thing about the Internet, it's like it causes people to be angry a lot. <laughs> and if you are if you react in anger, right, like if you're going to react because like you got angry about something, then pretty much anyone on the Internet can control you. And it takes time to develop that self-control, that self-discipline, uh, that regulation uh, that people have. And before we move on, because you, you mentioned Feel It to Heal It, and that's our next session. But I want to, before okay. we do that, uh, answer one more question from Roger. Um, this okay. is a little bit longer one. I hope it'll fit. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, thank you. Uh, very helpful. In some cultures, praising young children is less of a focus and high achievement and humble attitudes are stressed. Is there a way to encourage young children to achieve but stay humble, but also uh, encourage them specifically. And there's, yes. there's more. I can't, I can't really fit the rest in it. Um, but it says specifically our experience raising children in the U.S. or Chinese multicultural communities, uh, bringing into contrast two different cultural traditions in achievement and finding creativity, uh, finding a balance on that journey is very dynamic. It's a great question, Roger. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So. Um, Roger, I can only answer that from my own perspective, right? And so one of the things that I did with, with my child, um, my child, I did provide praise where he deserved it, right? But I focused more on of encouragement um, as, you know, as he was growing up. And there was one time that I found out that he teased another kid at school because something that the kid was wearing. And so what I did with my child, I, I took him to where I'm from, far Rockaway, Queens in New York and in, and into the projects, um, you know, that I had um, experience walking through as a kid and I took him on my street. I showed him all of these things and I basically, for him being humble, I, I taught him this. You were born on third base, but you didn't hit the triple. 
You didn't really mm-hmm. earn that. Like privilege or whatever you have, you know, you you've had to earn that. So you don't really have the right to treat anyone um, in the wrong way. And so mm-hmm. I think that you can you know for parents that are raising children that are in a different context than we were i think to keep them humble right i think we need to show them where we started and show them what the possibilities are and to focus on of course on achievement on being smart on having solving problem strategies you know little recipes but also on understanding that the things they do for themselves their achievements right these should be tied to their passions things that they care about you know mm-hmm. but they should take yeah. those passions and flip them in service of others to help other people so if you're trying to help people you're not going to be looking down on them and so i think that 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 is one of the things that you know i try to instill not just in 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 my participants or in my own children but i think everyone should is to find out what you like to do something you would do every day become an expert at it that 10,000 hour rule but then but then flip it and turn it into a purpose for helping other people and i think that will keep anyone grounded I love it as well, and, and you can see like Roger's already like responding to this one. It's like, yeah, but you're like you don't understand your privilege until you bring them into that context that you can oh, yeah. show them like you don't understand like this is how difficult it is for some others, and giving them that context of like you have to understand this is where you come from, and you're talking about humility. It's like humility comes from understanding like where do we come from. You know, everybody who says like, oh, I've made it, but I still remember who I came from, where I came from. Where, where did you come from? What does that mean? And I think yeah, that that's the, it, it's so key. Uh, you're hitting it on the nail like here. I love yeah, it. <laughs> well, well, and that's one part. But the other part is that we have to teach our kids about empathy. Um, and I know that empathy is often, you know, defined by putting yourself in someone's shoes. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, but I think we can learn to see the perspective of another person. That we validate what their position is. It doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we subscribe to it, but it means that we try to understand where they are coming from. And I heard a young person say in a video from from um, the Bronx, New York, that if everyone had empathy for each other, we'd all be friends. You know, there's a quote that I heard once that if you, that there isn't a person you wouldn't love if you just heard what his or her story is. And so I, I just think that, you know, teaching our kids about empathy and trying to see some from someone's, um, you know, um, point of view, I think it goes a long way in making them, you know, better people. Feeling it to heal it. Right. So like experiencing the the emotion moving into into that, I, I think is really relevant because uh, the question that I want to highlight from uh, Roger is there's this balance that he, he talked about. Like, um, could you speak to the balance of learning emotions, emotional expression with emotional control for younger children? Maybe you can um, speak to that, because on one side, we're saying we want you to have really 
great emotional control. And on the other side, it's like, no, we want you to like feel and experience these emotions. What is the balance between these two? Um, it's a great question, Roger. Well, what do you think? Uh, well, as far as emotional um, control goes, I don't know about that because I still haven't been able to, you know, control all of my emotions. But, you know, it goes back to our first um, question. So first, I didn't say feel it to heal it. And so the one thing that I found in, in my life is that I didn't treat emotional pain the same way that I did physical pain. So an example of that is this. If I'm playing basketball and I twist my ankle, right? The right thing to do is to get it checked out, is to rehab it, sit on the bench, don't play on the ankle. Let the ankle heal. And so the same thing goes when we experience emotional pain. Sometimes that pain is so great that if we, you know, don't meet it head on and we get the therapy we need, we take the time we need, we let time, you know, time heals. We talk about what's happened. If we, um, if someone has hurt us, then we can seek some restorative justice, right? Well, for, for me, I had to learn that feelings precede emotions. Mm, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean, yeah. First is the emotion, then is the feeling, then there's either the reaction or the response. And so when I was younger, even as an adult, I was reacting to my emotions and my feelings. And even now that I'm a lot better, I still have days, you know, but, but, but now I know how to regroup and get myself back on track. Right. And, you know, it's more, it's more difficult when our rights, our civil rights are violated. Mm-hmm. When we, when, when, when we are being, um, you know, underrepresented, marginalized, when, you know, when we see our own people being treated, um, mistreated, that's very difficult to do. And, and so I don't think that anyone can tell anyone how to feel, right? Mm-hmm. But I know that for me, I have found that I'm a lot better when I'm emotionally in, in control or in better control. And so sometimes I'll be honest, just like last week, there was a lot in the news that was just too emotional. You know, Twitter, it was yeah. too much to handle. And I couldn't be in the right frame of mind. I had to cancel the class and be like, look, guys, we just can't do it today. Like, it's just not, you know, something. But I think that, you know, young people as well as adults need to know what their, um, what they can or, or cannot handle when they know when they need that, you know, emotional rest or break. But at the same time, I think we have to work on it so that we can be better um, um, prepared to help our young people with this because it doesn't go away. You know, it's not going away. Like, I think that we can start over with a whole different um, country, civilization, language, but emotions are still going to be there. So, <laughs> okay, so how, how did you know this? Like, so you're, you're describing the situation of last week. You totally knew that you couldn't run this class. Like, at what point do you go, like, it's above the threshold, right? Like, and I, I am not able to, to like, to know, uh, and I, I'm able to know that truly, like, I need that time. I need time away. I need to be doing something different. 
Uh, I'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts. How do you know? How do you get to that point? When my anxiety level starts to, you know, go up and I feel like my heart is pounding and I'm not able to, you know, quickly regroup. Now there is a, there is a trick that I use. Um, and it's Dr. Wayne Dyer talks a lot or, you know, in his work, he talks about meditation. And so breathing is a big part of that. And so if you take three simple breaths, it stops. See, by focusing on breathing, you can no longer focus on your thinking, right? And so that's like a pattern interrupt. And so um, typically that's what I do. But when I can't just do that, right? And I, you know, know that I'm upset or that I'm anxious or that um, then I know that I need to, to um, take a break because I don't want to say or do anything that's not going to be constructive. I think we're either building or we just, or we are destroying. And so I never want to be in a position where I'm not saying the right things to my, to my students or other people. And so, yeah, I take a break. Um, there's times you wow. have to get on social media. I mean, it's important, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I love have, this. Like, um, you've got this, I, this notion of, um, emotions. Like there, there's a physiological, component to it right like emotion there is a, a movement of our body in, in doing it it's a heart rate oh. that's increased it is it is it is something else and i think that that to me is key like if you notice your heart rate is going up you notice your like emotional level is like way up there um you've got way more anxiety you're shorter with people like this is a good indication like you gotta get this under control like you you maybe need that time meditation you might need that time for like rest if you're not having enough sleep. And, and that's another thing as well. It's like, oh man, like I don't know what, um, this time has done yeah. for sleep patterns, but it's been insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you know, like, yeah, I don't sleep anymore. Um, no, but I'll say this though. When I can't, when it's very difficult for me to empathize with someone, then I know I have to love them at a distance. What, is, what do you mean by that? What, what, what's like love them at a distance? Tell me. Well, I think that, um, you know, as a person of faith, we have to love um, people. We don't love all that they do, obviously, but, but we have to love them. And so, you know, having empathy is to see it from someone else's um, point of view. Well, if your point of view is killing me and damaging me, then I just have to love you at a distance. Um, it, you know, that's just how, you know, I, I prefer to go. Um, you just can't be in every situation. It just doesn't work that way, um, in my opinion. And so when I time, I, you know, I take time. If I don't know about something, I learn about the history of it. You know, I, I learn about what I need to know. And if I just can't, then I just can't. So that's how I try to be. Like that's, that's a key, a key point there is sometimes we, we need to know when do we react and when do we step away? And I think that having that type of emotional self-control is just so important, you know, having that, that type of regulation. And yeah, you're right. You do want to feel it. Uh, and it's just being able to recognize our own emotions to the point where we know that if I start reacting or if I go into the live situation with this, I'm going to be running in way hot. <laughs> 
I'm going to be right. Like I'm going to be reacting negatively. I'm going to be like really like angry <laughs> with people. It's like, Hey, I can I grab, Hey, can yeah, I grab something in the chat? Is there a way for me to drop something in the chat? Yeah, absolutely. Is there something you wanted me to highlight? Yeah. Well, th- there's an article I wrote on three ways that educators can better manage their emotions. Yeah. And See if you can, can, like, you should be able to pop stuff in and it should uh, appear in all the different platforms. <laughs> Okay, so let me see. For some reason, it's not a lot. So it says I can private chat. Okay, so look. Oh, okay, private chat to me, and then I'll then I'll send it. <laughs> yeah, and so that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, those steps are are pretty much universal. And yeah, you know, parents can also work on those too. Okay, and there's a lot more um, to all of that, but you know, in blogs, we, you know, typically do nine hundred to a thousand words, but there's also work by Dr. James um, Gross out of Stanford. And so he's an emotions researcher. And his work, um, he has process model for regulation. And so his work helped me because sometimes you can change what you respond to emotionally because feelings come after the emotions. And so you can decide to, you know, give that thing importance or not give it importance. And so, you know, one of the things that I used to emotionally respond negatively to is when my friends would not support me or would not be um, happy for me if something was going my my way. And so I had to learn how to change my response to that emotion. And now I just realized that that's not really about me at all. That's really more about them. More than me. Okay, so, more- so so this link, um, and I appreciate you mentioning that because like this is a good example. So you, you, the link you had was three steps to better manage emotions. Um, yeah. And uh, like I will k- leave a link, and I apologize for those I can't leave a link right now, but um, you you will get it at least after this chat. I'll copy everything. But I, I guess my question is, what are those three steps? What are the three steps that better ha- help manage our emotions? Yeah. So we've been talking about it the whole time, is to know what emotions are and their effect on the body and on you as a person, on, on your decisions. Know that um, feelings come after the emotion, right? And then second is what psychologists say the first step should be is to label and to recognize. And then third is to regulate. And so Dr. James um, Gross's work is in there. There's a video in there and his model. And that's actually what I teach in my SEL masterclass as the first step for educators before they even do this with the kids, right? Because you can't be the lead learner on this one. And so, but even with that said, though, I'm not perfect and we can't expect anyone else to be perfect. And so when we learn about these things and we're doing better, sometimes because, you know, things are habit, right? We might fall back into the same pattern of reactions, but as long as we catch ourselves, then that's a step in the right direction and it takes time, you know, so we need to, um, you know, try not to judge ourselves or others that, that, that we're working with, you know, lead with love, lead with grace and just do the best that, that we can do. Like we're living in a very difficult time right now. It's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, we were just biting our nails after seeing a video of proof 
to to find out if someone was guilty or not. That type of that's the type of time that we live in. So we can just do the best that we can, take care of ourselves, our families, our students, our children, and do it for the right reasons. Exactly. And 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 that's a really great uh, point that I wanted to, to emphasize because you you teach a course specifically about this, um, and I, I wanted to give some opportunity to to to, to plug both the course, your training, and uh, the SEL in Action Guide. But before that, yeah. we've got a question um, that I wanted to, to see if I can highlight. I don't know if it'll all fit in here. Uh, give me a sec. So he asks, um, Roger asks, the emotional expression and meditation uh, exhibits itself differently in body movements when uh, when we practice yoga, kung fu, and prayer. Uh, can you speak to how movement connects to emotions uh, more given these various practices? Yeah, so I know that yeah, I know that that happens a lot in Tai Chi, in yoga, um, and even in prayer. Um, for for me, it's more of a focus on 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 my breathing and clearing my mind. And so, one practice that um, I try to do after doing something where I do some heavy mental lifting, like my writing or or workshop or um, even physical activity, like a workout, is to take five minutes to just, you know, clear my head, you know, focus on 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 my breathing, and just allow for there to pattern interrupt between thinking and and breathing, right? Um, another strategy that I that I've been working on is you do ninety minutes of work, and then you take twenty minute break to do that. Right. And to do something like a Pomodoro type of effect then. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the ways that I have found that has helped me is laughter. And so I'm a big Martin Lawrence fan. And so the Martin show, um, um, Golden Girls, um, I I find shows that make me laugh. And I find that that is a big stressor. So yeah, I know that different, um, cultures have different things. Um, but for me, you know, I'm American. So, so I tend to go to the things that I like. And when you like something, when you do something you like to do, like for me it's comedy, right? So, you know, watch a comedy show, then you feel happy inside because you're doing something that you love. And I think that's really the first step to any type of internal peace. Yeah, laughter is the best medicine um, <laughs> when it comes to, like, you know, just... I think we take ourselves too seriously sometimes. We're like, oh man, I've got to do this and I, I've got to have this accomplished. And it's like, ah, does it really matter in the end? Like, it's just, it's more like laughter forces us to reflect. It reflo- forces us to think like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Like when I tell the story afterwards and that kind of storytelling, like you get so many good things built in <laughs> when you've got laughter there. And so. I am so glad that you mentioned that. There were so many great nuggets from George's experience as a coach that he was able to share today on the podcast. And I would love to hear your biggest takeaways. If you'd like to leave us a message or if you'd like to see his RevUp Robotics book or the SEL in Action Guide, you can see all of that on our website, AIParenting.live. 
And you can sign up to be an AI Parenting Insider to learn about our future live streams. Next week, we're going to be meeting with Brittany Singh Williams from Jamaica, who is an educational coach who's going to be talking about preparing our children to thrive. Thank you, and we will speak to you soon.